Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Recovering Entrepreneur Show. I am Bobby the Awesome, your host. And today I am with the lovely Cynthia Cologne. Hello, Cynthia. Hello, Bobby. It's so great to be with you today. I'm pretty excited to dive in. I'm so grateful that you're here. Um, as we were talking before I press record, I see how much we have in common. And that's it's always wonderful to interview a guest that's like, on my mindset and you are totally with me. So um yes. we, we met for the audience sake um through a through an event, a speaking event, and we didn't know what we were gonna do, what we were gonna talk about. And you have a mission and you have an entrepreneur story. And that's what I'd really love to share with the audience today. Uh both parts. I want to hear about how you ended up as an entrepreneur and then I want to dive into what your purpose is. Does that sound all right to you? That sounds amazing. Yes, I love it. All right. So take us on the journey. Well, I'm going to take you, I'm going to start back. Um, when I was young, I like to say that I'm a daughter of an immigrant mother, and I was sort of raised by 14 theos and theas, aunts and uncles, for those of you non-Spanish speakers. And they had advice for everything except how to get admitted to college, right? So my mom had to figure it out. She didn't know. She didn't go. And so because of her courage and because of her help, um, I, I went on and I um, have three degrees and I did all the things that you're supposed to do. I had sort of achieved the American dream and made my mother very, very proud by having my doctorate degree. And after my big mission was at the time was my biggest goal was to become a school principal at a private school. And so I did that. I got my doctorate degree from UCLA and went on to become um, a school principal. Well, it was in my, um, it was probably in my first uh, gig as principal, my first school. In 2014, while I was principal, my father passed. He died. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, my dad had nine lives. He had always managed to, you know, be saved somehow, but he, he, he passed in 2014. And the very next year, because of his death, I also realized I wasn't married to my best friend. So I went through divorce in 2015. But neither of those things, as terrible as they were, could have, I mean, nothing was as worse as what happened in 2016. I was the principal at a private school. I thought it was my dream school. I actually thought it was the job I was going to sort of, that was going to be the last job I had. I was in that job for less than a year. Midway through, actually about this time, about the Easter season, um, I was let go. I was let go. They basically said I was not a fit. Um, that's a whole nother story. You know, my journey there, it was clearly not meant to be. And so at Easter time in 2016, I found myself without a job, without a purpose, without a reason to get out of bed. I went from having hundreds of emails a day to checking my phone and nobody needed me. Nobody wanted me. Nobody had a question for me. No one was going to stop at my office to nothing. So that was a really big fall, I would just say, a really big fall. And from there, I mean, I actually went to the to the therapist, the counselor, the office, the therapist, and I said, I don't, I don't know what you have to do. I said, but I, I think I need to come here every single day. Uh, and she said, Well, you're not suicidal, <laughs> but <laughs> we can at least get you twice a week. So twice a week I went, but I'm a fighter. Like you, Bobby, I'm a fighter. I was like, you know what? And I uh, 
rent, did a small renovation on my condo in the kitchen. And I made a plan. I said, you know what? I got to get out of here because um, I had, uh, the, I hadn't really broken any rules. And so they were paying me out my contract. So I had a, a cushion, but I wanted to get out of my condo. I wanted to rent it out and drive across the country to Ohio to stay with a good friend of mine that I went to um, Columbia university with. We did our master's together and work together. And she was a very good friend. And she said, you're one of the best leaders I know. I don't know what happened, but whatever you need, you can come here. You're welcome here to stay as long as you want. That's a good friend right there. Yeah, That is, is a really good friend. Yeah. So I said, okay, let me pack up my stuff. I packed whatever I could fit in my trunk of my car. Uh, my mom came with me for about half of the month of July. And I took 30 days to drive north, uh, you know, on the one, you know, up the coast of California, made several stops at ball stadiums, national parks, visiting family. I mean, I'm a big family. My mom's one of, you know, actually it's with the steps, she's one of 15. So we have family everywhere. And I got to Ohio and um, I had to figure it out. I had to figure out my, my passion and my purpose. And starting August 1st, because I got there July 31st, starting August 1st is when I started writing my book. And I didn't know what I was doing. I just started writing and my purpose evolved from there. Mm. I had a coach that used to say, you know, you practice writing every day and like your higher self will just come through like in, in those little increments, right? Like it's not us generally writing. It's, <laughs> it's those downloads that we're releasing and it's almost like we're a tool for the universe, right? I don't know if you felt that way, but that that's how I feel. Yes, it, it was interesting because, um, you know, the, the book is is uh, my, you know, sort of love letter to the college admissions and all the students I had worked with up to that point, the students who had influenced me and um, that I had had a hand in their their, you know, trajectory of life and, and stuff like that. So what I did was uh, in the basement. So in Ohio, I, I'm in California, but in the Midwest, you know, there's people have basements. We don't have those in California. So I went down to the basement and she let me sort of make it my own. And I put all these post-it notes of all the stories because I love stories that each kid I interacted with had a story and a lesson to share to the world. So I put them all and I started with 55. It was finally, there was about uh, 30 that ended up in the book, but, um, uh, I lost my train of thought of where I was going with, with, uh, the stories, but I would, what I would do, I know sort of how it evolved. I would take three post-its per week and I'd move them up to my bedroom and the, there was a mirror there and I would tape them there. And I would sort of just meditate on those three for the week. And I would think, what is, what is that kid? What is, uh, what is that story going to share with the world? And so I would just start writing and I would have my regimen in the morning. I would get up, I would <clears throat> read, uh, do my prayers, journaling. I'd sort of had this routine in the morning and then I would start to write and it would just come through, you know, what the purpose of that. And so each one, and in the beginning, I would take me three, four days to write one story, one tale, as I say. Um, but by the end, it would take me three hours. So it came through, but I'm going to tell you one of the days there was a student I met. I was a 
college admission officer for Vassar College. And um, there was a student I met who was really nervous that he was he going to get admitted or not because he had had a year where he was actually he was in recovery. Um, he had gone through that as a as like a fifteen or sixteen year old, you know, mm-hmm. and so it messed up, you know, it made um, for his transcript. Let's just say was you know not perfect. So I remember him trying to pull me aside, and and, and so I was trying to convey this story. Um, in a, in the story format. And uh, he had a situation where also he was going through recovery and it was sort of a loss, loss to him. So I made it also be part of um, that he had lost a, a parent. So lots of things that happened to him. But while I was writing the story, I started crying, bawling for my own father. So I had never really taken the time to unpack my own stuff, my own baggage. Yeah. And that tale was meant for me to write so that I could go through my own catharsis, like, you know, just figure out like, Ooh, that was, that was in me. It was, it was stirring in me and I hadn't let it out until that moment. I never, I'll never forget exactly where I was. And I was curled up in the chair, just bawling and bawling. So that was one and each one, you know, would just would would hit me for for different reasons. But that one was was really uh, a big one for sure. Wow. So was did you deal with all like high school? Was that who you dealt with, like that level age group of kids? And yes, then- I was. Go ahead. Well, and then I, I was just trying to understand. So you worked with them, and then it, because you were in college college admission. Is that where the stories came from? Yes. So the stories um, in the book, I say, so uh, as a kid, I was known as Cindy. Um, And then when I first started my career, I was known as Cynthia. And then Miss Cologne when I was the dean of students. And then Dr. Cologne when I was the principal. So each, all of the stories come from one of those parts of my life. And so in the, in the front of the book, I say, you know, anytime I say Cindy, it's one, it's a high school, it's literally a student, a kid that I, a friend that I went to school with and so on and so forth. So this particular tale was uh, from that time that I was at Vassar in admission. So that was the, the, um, his story was my inspiration for that particular tale. So, but yeah, they were all students that I had um, dealt with in my time. How do these stories relate to getting admitted into college? Right. So each, um, each story is a tip, a a tip, a tale and a truth. And the tip comes from the voice of a college counselor. So if, if you go in, if a high school and you go into your counselor's office, they might give you a tip. And, um, then the tale comes from the voice of a real story, a real story, um, of a student. And so I write that. And then the truth comes from the voice of a college admission officer. So I'll give you an example. The example um, is one of the very first tales in chapter one is uh, the tip is sort of shoot for the moon, land of the star or or something like that. And um, the tale is about a student who came to me at the end of her freshman year before her sophomore year and said, I want to get into an Ivy League school. She came ready to like ready to play, but she knew she needed to get get organized well before senior year. So the story is about her father and she come into my office and the father keeps asking me questions and I keep turning to the, to the, 
the girl her in the book her name is missy so i keep he asked me a question and i look this way and then i turn to her because of her process so finally she knows and gets and tr- starts to trust me because she keeps seeing that i turn to her and she says okay this is my goal i want to go to uh, apply to brown i want to apply to yale da, da, da. and so on and so forth ucla usc so we backwards map, we backwards engineer her transcript, what classes she's going to take, and we backwards engineer her her um, extracurriculars. She says, I want to be student body president when I get to be a senior. I said, okay, great. She says, but I know the girls here. She says, um, I know the girls here won't want to keep electing the same student. They'll want to give other people a chance. So in my junior year, I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to do something else because she was a sophomore class president. So she knew strategy, how to do everything. So we backwards engineered all of that. And so that's the tale. And then the truth part comes from my voice of being an admission officer. And I'd say, this is the truth is hundreds of kids will apply to these top schools and they all look the same. They all have the same top grades, straight A's, four point something GPA. But the, the proof is really in all the other things that you do. And it takes time to plan. So start early. That's the point of it. So the tip, a tale and a truth for every single one. Now, they're all not students who want to go to Ivy League students. I'm just using that as, a, as an example. Um, but each one has a different tale about resume building, uh, how to build your college list, um, what happens when you get in trouble. Like it was a kid who um, cheated on a final exam. And I talk the story about her and what came of it and what she learned and how she started the honor council because of it. So you can make lemonade out of lemons. So their tales um, range in, in all kinds of students. Wow. That sounds really, I love that structure. And I love the different voices that it, it's like you have an expert for each part of the theme of the book. So that's really brilliant. Do you believe, yeah. all right, now I'm going to get a little off, off topic um, yeah. from the book, but do you believe that everybody should go to college right after high school? Oh my gosh. I love this question. So the answer, the short answer is no. Um, But because of what I do, I think most people believe that that's what I believe, uh, that everybody should go to college. And here's really, at the end of the day, my mission is really about making sure that as many students um, who are in high school, right? So eventually they'll all get there, but they understand from the beginning that they're in charge of their destiny. And their only goal, yes, your full-time job is to be a student in high school, 9, 10, 11, 12th grade. But you want to get to the end of your senior year having choices that you get to make and that you manifested. You don't want to get to the end of your senior year and you didn't get admitted anywhere or you didn't have a plan. And so now what's in front of you is just, what do you do? You go get a, a job at a gas station or you do community college. I don't care what you do. If you choose that, that's great. But I'm here to say everybody has choices. So you can apply. Everybody can apply to four-year college if you put your mind to it. Everyone can, you know, but you can also go to culinary school, right? CIA is in uh, in in, um, in Poughkeepsie, New York. That's one of the best, you know, culinary schools in the country. You can do that. So that's really, there's actually one tale in the book, and I purposely left it there. And it's from, it's actually my, the person I was dating, my boyfriend from high school, he did, he did all the things right because his mom was just that way, you know, get good grades. You got to go to school. You got to da, da, da. But he was a baseball player. He was a pitcher. 
And he also had that dream. And so he ends up following his baseball path, but it's his choice. The bottom line of that story or the, the, the truth in that was that he was recruited. He got four-year, he got scholarship offers. He could have gone to a four-year, he had a couple of choices, but he, he made the choice. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, college is not for everybody uh, and not everybody wants that in their life right away. Some want to take a, some time off. Um, but my thing is it, it's, it's, it should be your choice. You're, you're in charge of your destiny. Can adults, this is me being ignorant, but it's kind of, uh, piqued my curiosity. Like is Wharton Ivy League, Ivy League? No. Is what Ivy League? Is Wharton School of Business. Wharton. School of Business. Yes. Yeah. So Wharton is part of University of Pennsylvania. It is the business school of UPenn and UPenn is one of the Ivy Leagues. You're absolutely right. Okay. So if I want to get in there as a 50-year-old, can you do that? Or do you have to come right out of college or out of school? Like, do you have to be young? You So the tr- traditional age student is obviously right out of right out of high school, although COVID, right? So a lot of students uh, take a year off and, and, and go back. But the answer to your question is, you know, anyone can apply, sure. Um, and if you apply, you know, as a 50-year-old and you, you know, you've never gotten your bachelor's degrees, you, you can certainly apply to, to the Warren Business School um, as a, as a uh, non-traditional, we call it the non-traditional age student. So you can certainly do that. Yes. Um, the other path is obviously if you have a bachelor's degree and you want to go back and get your uh, MBA, then that's that's a path as well. Okay. Thank you. That's the one I have yeah. on the radar. I've had it on the radar for a decade. Um Yes. I started my master's at Excelsior online um, when I got out of rehab. And and part of it was to pay back some of my gambling debt because I took out the loans and played the game, but also to keep my brain stimulated. Um, and then I, then I got into that whole trap of online classes and a whole different <laughs> spin on things. And I was like, wait a minute, you know, like it felt more real time for what I was doing. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so I'm like mid-masters, but. Bobby, let's get you in. That would be a story right there. (laughs) What's up? I said, let's get you into Wharton. That would be a great story right there. Who knows? There might be time for that. I, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if why I want to go to Wharton would be a popular opinion, (laughs) but, um, that's where Mr. Trump went. It was his business school. So I've been eyeing it since I've read about that years ago. Um, Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. I didn't go. I started in community college right out of high school. And then I dropped out because I had to work full time. Or at least that's what I thought in that moment. Um, And I didn't go back to college until I was like 30. And I started Mm -hmm. in community college. And then I went to a SUNY school. And what I realized was I then wanted to be a 4.0. Like I was very passionate about my grades, but the beauty of it was the things I, I, I was learning things relative to my job. And I went back, like I did that. I learned how to golf. I did all these things so I could be a vice president. So it made a lot more sense. This actually ties into your choices thing the projects I were doing were benefiting me at work and the work I was doing was benefiting me at school. And I really loved that complimentary. And I think the reason I excelled in college was because 
I was passionate about it because I always happened to like my job for the most part. Like I love flowers. I love leadership. I love all those things. And it was just, it was a good dynamic for when I did it. Yeah. Your journey with the college community college is not uncommon at all. Um, And this is one of those reasons that I believe in um, having all the choices laid out, Um, you know, four year, because if you, if you started a four year, you're more likely to finish at a four year right, right away between four and six years. And those who go to community college, you do, you're starting to go, you usually live at home, you're, you're driving in. Um, and you start to say, I need more money and you start to work and, and you, and you do that. So that's all, everything you said is not uncommon at all. What I loved about what you said is that once you sort of knew what you like to do, or you were figuring out the two things complemented each other and you were excelling at both things. So in, if, with traditional age students that I work with, um, I call that the coolness factor. When you can merge something you love to do with something you have to do, that's your coolness factor. That's your coolness project. Mm-hmm. And that tends to be something that you will eventually love doing um, and want to do and have, have it as a career. And you're not, you don't even realize that you're, you're doing that. You're making me remember. So I'm going to say the story. I say the story all the time because my, I'm, my mom is one of nine girls. And then again, with her um, half sisters, she's one of, you know, 11 girls or something. So there were always girls in my family. My father was a musician. So he did not like watch football on Sunday. He was not that, that man. I loved college football since I was young. I would like be in front of the TV on Saturday, watching all of it. And looking back now, it wasn't really yeah, it was about the sports, but it was about the pomp and circumstance. I loved the band and I loved the mascots and I loved all of it that came with the college stuff. And then when I went to college, I went to USC here in um, Southern California and I was a leader on campus. So they would send us to these um, national conferences and we would do a swap shop. So I could trade my USC sweatshirt for like two or three sweatshirts from other colleges. So I started collecting college sweatshirts. So when I look back now, <laughs> I was born to do this. Like yes. it, it was on the wall. And when I first ha- became a, a college counselor at a private school here, Marymount High School in Los Angeles, I had I had kept all the sweatshirts that I had collected. And I mean, when you go to USC and then, you know, Columbia, like you, you usually just wear the sweatshirts of the colleges you, you go to. So I just had stacks of sweatshirts just in the garage. So I went back to my mom's house, took that box of sweatshirts and put them in my office and, uh, you know, and, and had that collection. So I, I have been doing this job since I can remember. And I've just fallen, always would always fall in love with colleges and wanted to know the backstory and where they were located and their mascot and their colors. And, uh, that's what I, so I always say I get to be, I now get to be paid to be a professional cheerleader for teenagers. (laughs) Oh, that's great. So, yeah. So tell us what a day in the life looks like now. Like, what is it that you're doing if you're not in a structured W2 atmosphere? How's that? (laughs) For my question. Yes. So once I left my W-2 job or was forced to leave my W-2 job, um, I thought, oh gosh, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to fill my days? And now I can't, 
imagine, I can't believe I had time to have a W-2 job <laughs> with all the other things I want to do. So now a day in the life of being an entrepreneur. So I'm the, the author of the book, Be Committed, Get Admitted. And um, I use those those tales. So remember the tip, tale, and truth? <clears throat> that structure I love so much. And so when I blog or when I post or whatever, it's typically in that same format. So a day in the life of me, I get up somewhere between 5 a.m. and 6 a.m., depending on the day. And I start with that same regimen that I developed when I was writing the book. I get up. I I usually put on some affirmations on the, you know that I have on YouTube, some affirmations for the day. I will you know meditate. I'll write out what I'm going to do for the day, what has to get done, what my intention is. I also always have what I call IPA, income producing activity. So every day I have to have something that I'm doing to produce income. So that is part of my, part of my regimen. Um, if I'm going to write or if I need to prepare a presentation, that usually all happens somewhere between the hours of 6 a.m. and 11 a.m. because that's when my mind is really um, firing, you know, on all cylinders. Like I, that's when I can get the most done. Um, then between 11 and one on a, on a, on a good day, an ideal day between 11 and one is when I do my workout or I walk the dog or I go for a run or some kind of exercise, especially on days that I don't have to be all dolled up, then I could just do that in the middle of the day. And then the last half of my day um, is when I say I do the no brain work. I answer emails. I uh, respond to, you know, my NPS, all my get, getting back to all my summit people, um, talk to, you know, make any phone calls I need to make. And then I also certain days a week uh, meet with my private clients. Um, so I have certain days I take consultations and certain days I have pr private clients. And in the summer, my days or weeks um, are filled with what we call essay bootcamp. We have college essay bootcamp that happens in the summer. So the summers are slightly different, but that is pretty much it. And here's the biggest um, benefit to, to being the boss of my own calendar. I have one niece, one biological niece, but I say I have nine nieces because all my, all my girlfriends, um, uh, have daughters. <laughs> so, um, when my sister calls and says, can you, you know, pick her, I call her papaya. That's her nickname that I have. Can you pick a papaya or can you spend the day or whatever? That's when I say yes, because why else would I have this job? If I, if I'm the CEO of my calendar, I should be able to say yes, because she's not going to be young for very long. And so I get to spend um, time with her when it's, when, when I can. So that's why that's the biggest benefit. Okay. I have notes of everything, like of things that you said that really caught my attention. First of all, you said have to be dolled up. I don't approve of that statement. So <laughs> want to be dolled up. You shouldn't have I want to, to feel dolled. like you have to be dolled up. So that's my Bobby edit for the day. I hope that's okay. okay. Good. <laughs> yes. My uh, mom would totally agree with you because she was like, you can't leave the house without lipstick and earrings. <laughs> um, and then this is just kind of a curiosity. I love the morning routine. I definitely agree with you. Like my brain works much better in the morning. Uh, but manifestation and meditation, this is, this is totally not college related per se, but yeah. 
I feel like I just am learning about this stuff through my recovery journey. So in my forties, we'll call it, but have you been in tune to that all along or have you gone on some sort of like, has, has this always been part of your belief system in your life and your practices? Oh gosh, I wish. And I, and I teach, try to teach this to my teenagers because that I work with, because I didn't completely know, you know, about sort of manifesting your dreams or even like vision boards. I do vision boards as well. Um, and I'm not a reader of like novels and books and YA and all these things, but I will read, um, I don't know what they're called, I guess self-help or, or, you know, um, you know, the contrarian leader, um, or, uh, you know, think and grow rich or atomic habits. These are some of my, you know, favorite books that I'll read over and over again, you know, rich dad, poor dad, all those, all those things. And also the seven laws of, um, the seven the laws seven of highly effective leader, seven, that, that one too, but I'm trying to think of the Saren spirit, spiritual, um, like commandments. They're not, it's not that, that word, but one is like intention and one is, you know, karma and one is, um, you know, all these things. So I read them and I, there are post-its and stickers around my house um, that I have sometimes take down when I have company, but I really do believe in, in, in manifesting your, your destiny. One of the things on my, on my board, this, my vision board, I did five vision boards, you know, you know, physical health, uh, you know, love, love relationships. I'm still looking for my last and final husband. They say a woman, a man is lucky if, if she is, if he is her first love, a man is lucky if she is his last love. Did I get that right? I'm looking to be the last love of of somebody. Okay. So that was my vision board for that. But my on my vision board for professional, I put TEDx talk. I want to be a TEDx speaker. So I put that big. And then I also said that I want to um, sell 10,000, 100,000, you know, keep going with the books. Because my ultimate goal is I want to reach 10 million students, families in the next five years. Now, I don't know how I'm going to get to 10 million, but I'm going to keep putting it out there and keep putting it out there. So manifestation, to go back to your, your point. I put the TEDx. So this is some good news and some bad news. So, so I put the TEDx thing <clears throat> on my board and I applied to three and I made the third, the final round for the, for one of them. And in the end, I didn't, I didn't get it right away. And so she said, you know, do you want to get some feedback? So I signed up for feedback and I read those seven. I'm going to, I have to remember what it is, but seven spiritual laws. And one of them is like intention. What is your intention? And so I said, you know, my intention is to serve. So when I met with her, to, she gave me some feedback on to why I didn't quite make it. And she said, I, but you're so close. You're going to get it soon. And so, you know, keep going. And I said, you know what, Izzy, I've been wanting to ask, do you need any volunteers for the TEDx talk? You know, I just, I was crying that I didn't make it. And she said, I've been praying for someone to come. So she basically took me on as her coordinator, her right-hand woman for this entirety. And I will be able to do everything the speakers do all along the way. So I didn't get it right away, but this is probably going to be the better mentorship. I'm going to learn so much that in the next, right after that, I'll be able to keep, keep going and get, and get there. So I believe in manifest manifestation. I believe in intention. I believe in karma. I believe in all of that, but I, 
I, I didn't start to know about that really until my 40s, to be honest. Wow. Okay. So I'm right on track. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and I love that you're sharing it with the youth that you encounter. Like my 18-year-old niece gets it. She And I'm like, how do you know these things? <laughs> but she totally gets it. Yeah. My, my, my rock star performers, uh, like always, I always have about one to two unicorns per year, but they are like the girl I told you earlier. So I'll say Jonna last year, she's now a freshman at Princeton. She's been manifesting that for years. So I came into her life to honor as an honor to me, but she's been thinking about it since she was eight years old. Right. And another girl, she, she had been thinking about, she wanted to go to Harvard. She's, she's going to Yale next year. So I don't know. I don't know, <laughs> but it works. <laughs> it, it does. I did it on accident. Um, in 2013, I had lost my job and I went out and I bought this vehicle that was like a $600 a month car payment while I was unemployed. And my friends and family are like, what are you doing? And I was like, don't worry. My next job's a director job. Like it just is. And I called her the director mobile and like within a month I was director. (laughs) It was crazy. And, and it wasn't until like probably 90% of my story is upon reflection is when I learned things. Um, and it was like, oh, okay. This manifestation stuff works. So it's really interesting. Have you read the um, You Are a Badass books by Jen Shinsero? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love what she says. Uh, I think I was reading the the Green Book recently, and she says, oh, my God, like, people used to say it's so easy. You just have to think about it and manifest it. And, you know, and, like, I would say, how could it be that easy? How could it be that easy? And she's like, and yet it is. You have to, like we said earlier before, I think before we hit record, you uh, we said it, dreaming it is half the battle yeah but if your mind can already dream it and see it it's that means it's possible it is and it's a spiral for me like I can actually visualize the building and situations and the architecture crazy in the blue room and like I can I can picture it I've sketched things I gotta figure out how to like bring it to life in a in a visual aid so other people can see what's in my head Um, but it's perpetuating, right? So if you believe in the manifesting stuff, so if I could see it that clearly, it's already done. If you believe it's already done, you don't want to not believe it's already done. So you have, you like, it creates more faith that it's already done and that it'll happen in divine timing and all of that. And, um, it, it, cause it, it could get dark, right? If, if things don't happen when we're impatient, things can get dark. And I I experienced a little of that on and off, you know, this, this journey is not an easy one. Um, and it's like, am I, am I failing? No, I'm not failing. I'm, I'm learning some stuff here. Um, and I, I, you know, for me, at least I feel like I'm starting to get more prepared based on this stuff and it's what keeps me going i think it's bill gates uh, who says the quote like most people overestimate what you can accomplish in one year but underestimate how much you can accomplish in 10 yeah and you know i'm 
I'm, I'm, I'm at an age that I cognizant of my age, right? I I'm like, I know that I have more yesterdays than tomorrow's. And so there are days that I, I get like, oh gosh, this is not going as fast as I want it to be. You know, I want, I want to reach, you know, more kids. I want to, you know, more people need to know this. Um, but everything is always a preparation for the next for the next thing. And and we met at the National Publicity Summit, which you I think you said at the very beginning. And there were there was a lot of me every time I was going through the training before we started, I kept thinking, gosh, I wish I would have known how come someone didn't tell me about this when my book first came out? Because my book book first came out in 2017. It was a, in a, a different title, but um I I kept saying, oh, I wish I was, you know, more prepared and I wish I would someone would have told me this. And I was like, you know, wah, wah, you know, little violin. And, but I was getting really good um, interest from, you know, the, the daytime talk shows and other, because I have experience on camera and um, I wouldn't have had that in 2017. Right. So, um, I mean, I believe in God. So I, you know, there's two things I you know, let go and let God, right. And, and things are all on God's time. So um, I didn't know that I was preparing for this moment. Now, I couldn't have known, but perfect timing, right? So, yeah, it's beautiful, and it's um, it's refreshing, you know, for this for the times that it is struggle to have have the faith and the commitment, and um, yeah, it's it's amazing. Miss Cynthia, is there anything I know I waylaid us? So if you want to bring us back to topic, or if there's anything that um, we didn't chat about that you want to make sure you get out there please help get us on your track. Yes. Well, I mean, you know, I'm so focused now on that reaching that 10 million families. So I just want to explain what that means and what that looks like. Um, you know, I am from a public school. Uh, I went to Bellflower High School in Bellflower, California. And it wasn't until I worked at Vassar College in admissions that I really realized the education gap. And what does that mean? It means that 95% or more of private school students will go on to a four-year institution, but less than half, less than 50% of public school students will do the same. And so when I was recruiting at Vassar College, um, my territories included California, half of Texas, Florida, um, North and South Dakota, and Minnesota. So literally I would, I became obsessed with the process. I became a sociologist and an anthropologist. I asked questions everywhere I went. I listened to everything that kids did, families. I would show up at these brick buildings and big columns and these fancy, I mean, elite fancy private schools that they were learning Mandarin at sixth grade. Okay. They had all the APs offered. And so I would sit on the beaches of Miami or on, you know, River Rock in San Antonio. And I would start to journal in my journal. I've journaled all my life. Things that I thought public school students needed to know that they, that private school students already knew. And so that is what the book is about. The book is to give you little tips on all the things that I saw that private school families take for granted. I mean, I, I don't begrudge them the resources they have all the more power to you. But I also believe that we don't have an education gap. We have an information gap. And if more information can be relayed, the same information, if everyone had the same information, again, it's your choice what you do with that information. But if you don't know what you don't know, you're at a disadvantage. Absolutely. So all that to say, 
whoever's listening, you know, I am in the business of, yeah, I, I, I beat a, B to C direct to customer, you know, we do essay camps and stuff, but if there are um, school leaders, school districts out there who are looking to change the college going culture of your district, um, I can help. I can help. I've got, um, you know, online courses. I've got, I can be speaker. I can do consulting. I can do training for your counselors. Um, In our country, Bobby, I don't know if you know this, the student to counselor ratio is 500 to one, just about 500 to one. Wow. And in California and in about California and a few other states, several other states, not, not the majority, but about eight states, it's nearly double that. So I always say, go meet your counselor. It's not that she or he doesn't want to get to you. There's just not enough of them. So I'm in the business of trying to help schools and school districts close that gap. I can supplement what you offer so that the information that students need Jack Canfield, the founder of uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul, <clears throat> um, he gave a testimonial for my book. And he and he basically says, everybody needs a mentor. And now this book can help students get the information they need without having to wait till junior year. Because if you wait until junior year, it's too late. You can do some things, but you can't really do, you know, you're not going to wake up and, you know, go to Yale or Princeton like my, my two unicorns did. But uh, again, it's all about choices. It's all about having the information you need to make the choices and be in control of your own destiny. So there you go. I love that strategy. What a great way to bring it home. Cynthia, it's been truly my pleasure to get to know you a little better. I'm glad that we um, had this conversation. I learned a ton of things. So um, yeah, it's just amazing. Oh, thank you so much for, for having me. And again, I knew we hit it off since we met uh, in that Zoom room. Um, and so I'm I'm glad to be here. Should I share where to find me? Should I yes, do that? Or... Please. Okay. Sorry. Uh, um shameless plug, I guess, right? So yes, be committed, get admitted. Um is you can go to that website, but also you can go to www.drcynthiacolon.com and I'm gonna spell that out. D R C Y N. T-H-I-A-C-O-L like Larry O N like Nancy.com. That's my my that's my name. Dr. Cynthiacolone.com is where you can find me. And I would be happy and thrilled to know that you found me through Bobby. That would be awesome. Wow. Well, thank you again for your time and good luck with your mission to impact 10 million families. There we go. We're on our way. Thank you so much, Bobby. It's been great to have to be here today.